0: Doing Epic Stuff podcast with your host, Mike Drohan. Together, we'll explore the stories and journeys of ordinary people doing extraordinary things.
1: I feel like I've been doing it my entire life. And, and, and I still have that passion when I wake up every morning and go into the fire station of, of, you know, living the dream.
0: Hazley O'Leary is clearly stoked to be station officer at New Plymouth Fire Station Number 61, New Zealand. Husband to legendary ultramarathon runner Lisa Tamati, It's no surprise Hazley is also not a stranger to pavement pounding for disturbing distances. We catch up whilst he's in training for an upcoming epic 100-mile race. Good luck with that, Hazley. What's the driving force behind Hazley's storied 25-year career in the FENZ? And what can be learned from an individual who has fostered long-term camaraderie and respect from colleagues without the alpha-style approach to leadership? What makes one elect to run for that long? Having run, or rather limped, a measly marathon distance myself, and experienced the loopiness that can go on in the brain department during four hours on the hamster wheel, I'd long ago formed the opinion that people who are willing to spend that much time in the saddle we're just as likely to be running away from something as they are toward. There's a heap to unpack and learn from this unassuming everyday hero. I hope you enjoy the episode. And for those of you who are interested in getting into running, or maybe even improving your times, or training for an event already, Lisa Tamity is offering Doing Epic Stuff listeners a free 8-week strength and conditioning course, which is pretty incredible. Uh, you can check it out on her website. It's www.strength.lisa.tamady.com. It'll also be in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Uh, Hazley, thank you very much for joining me this morning on the Doing Epic Stuff podcast all the way from New Zealand.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having me.
0: Mate, great to have you on. You're a station officer, fire station officer at Fire and Emergency NZ, that's correct? Yes, yep. yes, that's correct. And you're also a passionate ultra long distance runner, correct?
1: Uh, that, that is correct also. Yes, I um, <laughs> definitely like to, to push my boundaries and, and see how far I can go with things. So, um, yeah, yeah, life is definitely an adventure
0: um that would keep you busy i imagine those two spheres of influence in your life
1: (laughs) most definitely um lucky for us we work a shift system which uh, you do two days two nights and then four days of recovery so those uh, most of those four days are spent running and training so yeah
0: (sighs) that's one of the questions i was going to ask you later on which is it's interesting like how do you manage to to Allocate your time effectively with with pursuits. One which is totally, I, I would have assumed when you're on roster, anything can happen, and the other one necessitates significant blocks of time that you just cannot change because you've got to be running. So the way you do it is you kind of you, you put one when you're off shift and one when you're on shift, and that's the only way to do it.
1: Yeah, lucky luckily for us, um, while we're on duty as well, we get an hours PT, so we get to go in the gym and things like that. So so there's always some form of training to do every day but um i I do like to do my longer runs and things like that during my days off just so that it doesn't wear me out too much and i can be on game for uh for when i'm at work
0: yeah Yeah. i can imagine like there'd be nothing worse than pumping out such like long distance running like that which is exhausting even the training and then having to turn up and go like do do high touch mental stuff because there's obviously a big pressure element uh, and decision-making element to firefighting, especially because you're in a, a leadership position. Doing that for sure. Fresh is one thing. Doing it exhausted would be a whole nother beast, right? Oh, most definitely. Um,
1: the guys know when I've been training pretty hard because we're in a multi-story station, so we've got three three levels, and our our um, morning tea room is up up on the third level. So the guys always give me grief because it's like I'm climbing Mount Everest to get it get up to the smoker room.
0: So, <laughs> And they hobbling, up, <laughs>
1: hobbling up the stairs. And, oh,
0: uh, yeah, very good. Now, did you did you and Lisa meet through long distance running? Because she's a legend of the sport, having participated in so many ultra marathon events. It's disturbing. Uh, was that the connection you guys had? Is that how you met?
1: Yeah, um, I was doing a um, well participating with a whole bunch of the guys from. Forks Bay, uh, we were doing a charity event uh, running from Hastings Fire Station to Napier Fire Station which is about 27 kilometres but the kicker with that was we did it in our full firefighting gear um, and, and carrying out BA, BA sets. Um, what's so what's, a, that, what's a BA set? Sorry, um, I The um, breathing apparatus. Um, got it. So, got it. Like so the, the tank. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but we weren't started so we, we weren't on oxygen. Um, we were just sort of just wearing it on our back as an added um extra endurance um effort that we had to put in to get through so technically it was meant to be a a 27 person 1k relay but we couldn't we everyone that ended up coming along that day so i think it was about or a good bunch of us about 30 of us um ended up just wanting to do the whole thing so um that's how that came to be but how I, I got introduced to Lisa is I'd read a few of her books like Running Hot and Running to Extremes and, cool. and sort of knew of Lisa from running the length of New Zealand and a couple of the uh, times that she's done Death Valley. And so because we were running in our level two firefighting gear and I thought, well, we're going to be pretty much near on heat exhaustion ourselves. I, I sent Lisa a message and just asked her, uh, uh, was, we, we're doing this event, it's for, for charity um i'm a firefighter and if you could help that that would be awesome and then because lisa's father was a firefighter and her brother's a firefighter as well so she was like automatically had the tick in the box Ah. um, for that side of it and because we're running for charity as well so so lisa gave me a lot of coaching advice and and tips and tricks and, and what to expect and things like that and so we did that event um dropped through there and I think we raised about $15,000 and awesome. yeah, there's some real funny photos because um, not only was it the fireman, there was ambulance and police as well. And so one of the the last photos or images of that event was us running into the finish line about one K out and we're just sprinting <laughs> our guts out, try, trying to, the cops, the tops and, and <laughs> it's like one of the one of the captains is always like, you know, it's not every day you get to outrun the police. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, I love it. But from, from so after that event, uh, pretty much, um you know, carried on just doing general running and and getting coached by Lisa. And and one of the events that happened post that charity event was to go and do the Auckland marathon. And, um, like, I'd, I'd only ever, my longest distance before all of this sort of kicked off was 21K, like a half marathon. I'd never thought anything further than that was possible for myself. Mm-hmm. I don't consider myself a, a super um, talented runner or, or someone that's going to, you know, do world record times or anything like that. But I've just got really real sense of determination and, <laughs> and strength of character and just want to drive and, and and push my, own limits to see how far I could go so yeah Lisa, Lisa sort of didn't con me but sort of said what's the next step so marathon and then um, managed to yeah after that get some one-on-one coaching and then I traveled over here to, to Taranaki and one of the first runs that we did together Lisa said oh, oh we'll see see um, what you're made of and we ended up starting at the base of the mountain and and running like 60k on, on our first day that we met and um uphill like, nah, did you go up the mountain 60k or was it just on that oh from from the base of the mountain um inland right so it was still it was undulating land but yeah okay mm. run like just it's not dead flat which
0: makes a big difference no. as it is but
1: <laughs> so that, that's how, how Alicia and I sort of I've met and um
0: yeah, so what you're saying is, Hazley, she tested you. <laughs> yeah, she tested worked out
1: waters, it <laughs> worked out whether I could hack it or not, and then um, yeah, uh, uh, life's never been the same since. It's, it's just uh, month on month is like, right, what's the next challenge? What's the next thing we can push towards? And um, got it. So, and, and that's in work as well as sports. So, um,
0: you're probably very uh, well suited in that regard. I think there's probably. I might be presumptuous in assuming this, but I feel like you might be wired a little bit in a way to be constantly having these, for you to stay motivated, you might actually need these sort of challenges in your life to keep you focused, keep you present and keep you kind of with a purpose. Uh, Yeah, I think some people will really lean towards that.
1: Yeah, I I find that if I don't set myself a goal or a long-term plan to work towards, I'll end up like tailing off a bit. And like, for instance, last winter, um, like the goal that I'm aiming for this year, like I was wanting to do last year, but a lot of like things happen in general. But like mm. if, if you can battle through the winter training, then then yeah, yeah half the battle's won. And um, last year I just ended up like mucking around and surfing and, and not really doing too much, and then <laughs> um, sort of let things slide. But this this year it's um, the, the big goal in November, so. I'm just wanting to to really just push myself and from that now that i'm like eight weeks deep into the training and all the effort that's gone into that now it's just a matter of carrying on the next 20 odd weeks of hard graft and and mm-hmm. i really really want to do the best that i can for this next event so we'll come
0: we'll come back to the to the fiery stuff in a moment but i'm interested to know so what specifically yeah. what are you training for what is this event
1: so, um, one of the big goals that I've had in mind, and, and it's been on my, my mind for, for a few years now, is to do my first 100 mile um, solo. Um, oh, God,
0: it makes me feel sick so, you saying that. That's horrendous.
1: <laughs> I, I know. I don't know what I've put myself in for. But, <laughs> uh, so, so it, it seems to be year on year is just a growth and development. So, like um, we did that 60K training run, Lisa and I together. And then I did a 50K mountain ultra. And then went on to doing the 80k half around the mountain and then a 100k um, trail ultra. And so the next logical step is now to bump it up another 60k and do a 100 miler. So um, I I, I don't know what. what,
0: (laughs) It's too late now, Hayes.
1: It doesn't matter. You're You're in too deep. (laughs) <laughs> there's there's something there's something internalized that, that i just use as this driver just to keep pushing myself mm-hmm. forward and keep keep challenging myself it's you know a lot of the guys at work will say so, you know that they have invented cars and, and you don't have to like you know <laughs> run it you can actually drive the whole thing but um i i just yeah love setting goals and be determined so it's it's yeah, okay the, the end goal is the pursuit like to, to do that day but it's all the training and development and personal sort of i don't know mindset shifts and, and change like that as you is what happens as you, you work towards that goal too So there, there's a yeah. lot more than just that one day it, it's like everything that comes along with it
0: do you feel the two the the firefighting and the ultra marathon running are in any way complementing each other or are they completely divergent? How, do, the, do the two kind of, what's the, what's the, is there a relationship between them for you in any way?
1: Well, I think there is like, from my perspective, because like with being a firefighter, you, you have to be switched on. Um, and you have to be physically fit and you have to be prepared for demanding situations. And part of the running side of it all, it, it's, it's really given you that, that ability to be, oh, it, it does correlate because the, the fitter and healthier you are like outside the job, the more switched on and then ready reactions sort of to make those snap decisions when they're required. Mm. So it, 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 it really does balance both of them out. But in saying that as well, the other side of it is like the traumatic scenes and things that you may encounter through, through the job like the, the stress relief from the training and the running like it sort of I, I feel it gives me a, a good sense of balance
0: yeah, yeah. gotcha there, there's it's like a <clears throat> it's like a sustained wind down for you mentally to be in that zone for so long just put punching out kilometers there's yeah. probably an element of that is helping you to decompress just being in that meditative state for so long
1: Oh, for sure. It's like, um, I think, like getting into a flow state, like you, like I find like getting out the, getting out the door is the the hardest part, but then (laughs) once you get into those first, first few kilometers, you're warmed up and then right, we're on, you know, and you do, you end up getting into that zone of just, I don't know, I I don't run with um, music or or podcasts in my ears just for the safety aspect of running on the road, especially some of the the roads around here are pretty, pretty gnarly. Bit toy don't you? You
0: run out of footpath in New Zealand quite often, right?
1: Yes, yes, indeed. So you're pretty much running on the on the side of the road with the traffic coming towards you. So it's better to be more aware of your surroundings. But with been saying that, you, you get closer to, I don't know, you, a flow state of just being, you're there, but you're not.
0: Right, you're just in the moment, you're doing it. Yeah, but you yeah, You're sure. not thinking about anything really. You're just feeling it. I feel yeah. I actually stopped listening to music a few years back too for, for running and for any real training because I found that <clears throat> when I listened to music, I sort of was definitely keyed into the music more than what I was doing. There was like a distraction there. And yeah. especially for things like if you're going for a run on your break as a de-stress from work, I found like if I was listening to music, I never really kind of shifted out of the the mind state. Whereas if I went quiet and just listened to what was around me, there was a almost like a, a, a benefit there by just being focused, which is probably a little bit like what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, you definitely. You sort of get in tune with your surroundings. And especially here, it's, you know, you you got to battle through the, the, the elements, especially over winter. So
0: mm. um, Anything it, you it, can do it, to get it, through basically. it, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's um, like a funny story. Like I, I did used to, to run consistently with, headphones on until i had a big tumble and um that was just because you're in that's like that in with the music and you're in time with the music and you're in the beat you know and then all of a sudden you know stumble stumble up my own feet trip over and <laughs> face plant and oh reality check so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I've, I've definitely been there I, can i ask you hazley we were talking about flow state you just touched on that before i know yeah. you, when I speak to people who are involved in adventure sports, especially, but all kinds of sports, they talk about that same state, right? Like it's a shared feeling that you get when you're really into something and you're just loving it and riffing on it and not really thinking about anything, just doing it. Do you, when you're fighting fires, given all the crazy shit that's going on, you know, you're, you're in an environment where it's hot, it's dangerous, things can change. Uh, you might've turned up expecting one thing, but then another thing happens I'm sure that's all part and parcel of it. Is there, is there a, almost like a fiery flow state that you can get into when you're in work?
1: Yeah, um, we do do a lot of training. And so we do a lot of drills. We, we try and make it so that you're, you're switched on with the job and all the different aspects of the job, whether it be putting a ladder up or running hose or whether it be using hydraulic gear and, you know, practicing our, our skills for motor vehicle crashes and things like that, or, or um, you know our you know practicing medical related incidents, so we, we do do a lot of training and drills. So that sort of gives you that sort of um, it's not so much a muscle memory, but more of a, a, a you know method of the madness that you may see when we encounter an incident. So the the incident starts like from training, and then it starts as soon as like the tones drop. You're listening to what the call is what type of call it is, the address, points, access, how you're going to get there. En route, you're, you're sort of getting information from the comm centre, whether whether it's escalating or, or whether there may be people trapped or people that need rescuing. Um, on arrival, as, a, as an officer, you have to do a dynamic risk assessment. So, that's, um, so you, you're weighing up the, the likelihood and the consequences of, of the decisions that you're going to make. We, we run what's called the safe person concept. So the, the firefighters don't just get on the truck and whoever's sitting in the driver's seat gets to drive and whoever's in the front seat gets to be the officer. We get rostered um, specific duties for the day. And so we, we call it a driver officer in the front left seat and then we've got a number one and a number two. So on the pump, uh, the number one is like the branchman. He's the one that's going to put the water on the fire. If it's a fire, um, number two is going to back up the number one. Um, we do have stacks of policies and procedures to follow, so so everything's pretty much in black and white for a, any specific goal or job that we go to. Um, so that that helps us as well, and we're really well well versed in all of those policies and procedures because we have to be. It's it's safety for our, our not only ourselves, um, you know, our team, as well as the community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so a huge so it's, amount of so drilling
0: goes on behind the scenes. There's, there's, oh, yeah, drill, drillings and methods. So there's all yeah. these processes you have to follow. Everyone knows them very, very well because they've just drilled them to the nth degree. Are you, are you constantly drilling them? Yes.
1: Yeah. So every, every shift we we do different training, depending on what the day is. So one day we'll focus on motor vehicle crashes. Then another day we'll focus on hazmat related jobs. And then. Another one would do medical training, um, line rescue. So that's another aspect of our job. So we'll do abseiling and we could do high angle rescue. Um, and then it's just, uh, there's, there's so many facets of the job, like with the pumps and then the ladder truck and then the rescue tools, the hazmat side of it all, um, supporting our local um, volunteer brigades as well with our, what we call an incident support vehicle. So there's so many things that we've got to have be switched on and cover right across the, the board. And um, yeah, so one of, one of the things, aspects here in our local district is like we have one page station, but we've got about 20 volunteer stations that circle us. So um, we're, we're a lot of interaction with with our volunteer um, brigades so, so that we, we have a level of understanding and support whether it be we're going to support them or they're coming to support us.
0: So, so, so a volunteer um, is what, Hazelie? Someone who is like a casual, almost like a casual uh, assisting the, firefighter? Um,
1: yeah, so the, the volunteers are basically, they, they work their own normal jobs, but when the, mm-hmm. the siren, the main siren goes, or their pager goes off, they'll, if they're able to, um, respond to the fire station and take the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're not retained firefighters, they're, they're just, um, you know, guys that are really, really into supporting their local community and um, have, have a lot of passion for, um, you know, the, the safety and well-being of the communities that they serve. So, um, and with us, we're, we're in a bigger city, so New Plymouth City, um, and we've got some of the major hazard facilities in the country. We've got like 14 different major hazard facilities, which range due to the oil and gas industry. Um, we've got the port which and then we've got some high well super dangerous um, chemical plants around the area but you know everyone's um, mindful of everything that's that's sort of in our patch so it's different throughout the country like like different areas have um different risks so like on the east coast it's really dry over there so their, their main level of risk is rural fires and grass fires and and because it gets real dry over there. Over this side, it's not so much because it rains quite a lot. Um, there, are, there's like metro brigades, so like Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, and even have multi-stations, pay crew stations.
0: Different focuses depending on the on the, I guess the context of where these stations are essentially.
1: Indeed, but you still got to be, you know, you've got to be switched on with it all. Like mm. we you know, we'll also have a port and the an airport, and um, yeah.
0: It sounds like a lot. It just seems there's, like a there's, lot there's, to be taking so, on.
1: <laughs> and like, you know, there's, there's a lot to be, to be thinking about, but each call comes in, as I say, from when the tones drop and where you're going or what, what, what's required and, and you switch on from there.
0: So circ- circling back, it's kind of like you, yeah. in order to get into that flow state so that when, you, when the call comes, you can switch into the right mindset to just do it. To, yeah. to, to get into that flow state you've done all this hard work you know all the systems the processes you kind of know what what could happen and what what will change and all these sort of things that when you get there in the call go and also your roles have been allocated for the day so it takes away yeah. that thought of like do i drive the truck or do i get on top of it? that's all sorted so then you just yeah. go and do basically when when the when the emergency situation for sure. happens
1: for sure so yeah on arrival you 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 have a quick assessment you talk to the the main thing that we we follow a process called RECIO. I'm not sure if you're heard of that. So it's risk to no, life, that. exposures, containment, extinguish, overhaul. So the risk to life is like that's when you you arrive there. You're asking is everyone evacuated? Everyone out of the building? Last name whereabouts if anyone's missing? Um, yeah, the exposures. So so if there's a building on fire, like you you want to protect the buildings that aren't on fire first. Um, like so. Once everyone's steamed out, everyone's safe, put up a protection around that building. Um, once it's contained, you extinguish the fire and then the overhaul phases like going through and dampening down everything, hot spots and stuff like that. So we use that terminology basically to for any, any job you go to. Um, mm. There are a lot of acronyms. Yeah, I bet.
0: But, um, <laughs> so brain, so that, I already of, feel like you've told main, me about six of them. <laughs> that's,
1: that's one of the main ones that, that we do um, to, to sort of get you in that flow state, in that sequence, in that pattern of, of mindset it. when you arrive.
0: Got it. If you're, so, kind of, yeah. if you're pre-programmed with those base, base methods and you've drilled them to hell, then when you get in that pressure situation, you can just almost, like you said, Hazley, you go to muscle memory and mental memory and just, and just perform. If we can loop back, Hazley, I'm really interested to know why, to begin with, you even got into such a, like a risky and, I guess, a, like a non-standard kind of epic profession. What, what put you on this journey to begin with?
1: Well, um, I grew up around the fire station. My father was a career firefighter for 35 years. And um so as a young young fellow I spent many a weekend down at the fire station and watching the, the big red trucks turning out and hanging out with my my dad and, and, and his his team that I thought were you know superheroes in my eyes as a young kid and one of the things that stuck with me uh, growing up around the fire station was um, was one one time when the when tones the, uh, the went down, both trucks were turned up to a house fire. Um, and health and safety were all over it now. I walked up to the sixth floor of the tower, the, the fire station training tower. And at that stage, I could see right across the, the town, I could see where the fire was, the big black smoke, and I could see the fire engine zooming across town and, and then the smoke going from black to grey, which sort of meant that the um, the water was being applied to the fire. And I was just, yeah. I, I At that point, I was like, this is me. This is what I want to do. And <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to achieve it. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, everything seemed to line up to work towards becoming a firefighter. And it's, it's one of the most rewarding, challenging, but... Um, you know and it is demanding but like it, it's such a, a career now i've been doing it for coming up 25 years mm. um, so i'm 43 now um i feel like i've been doing it my entire life and 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 i still have that passion when i wake up every morning and go to the fire station of of you know living the dream living living every
0: well that's awesome so you still feel super motivated to do it
1: oh for sure and And, like, um, so I I joined the military straight out of high school um, and became a military firefighter. So I was doing that for five years. And through that, I got a lot of um, real eye-openers and some serious training in in all aspects, not only, like, um, structure fires and car fires and things like that, but also the aircraft side of um, firefighting and rescue and... um, yeah, yeah no it, it, it's been a, an amazing journey so far and I started in 2001 with the fire service um, outside of the military and yeah just been rocking ever since <laughs> it's Just, just i don't know i'm just so passionate like i
0: just love it And man um, I, I can tell it, it, it yeah. comes through i mean to be i think to be excited about something is like the the definition of passion right something that makes you excited and you obviously still get a great thrill from it it was the um discussion around the o'leary dinner table when you were just a little tacker whatever you're right there, there was a lot of fire talk at dinner <laughs> like oh.
1: Most definitely, like, um, yeah. Every time I dad get home from from work, I'd always try and find out what the call were, What, what been?
0: Um, Did dad smell of yeah. smoke? He'd go and have a shower and still smell of smoke.
1: <laughs> yeah, they they were like the old school um, firefighter. So when my father was was a firefighter early in his career in the '70s. Um, They they were called um, smoke eaters because it was pretty rare that they'd wear their breathing apparatus. Oh man! And that you're not tough unless you can get in there and put the fire. Oh no! And I I know now it's it's most definitely not a dumb thing. And um, but yeah, some some of the training exercises and things that they used to do back then, there's just no way you could do it nowadays.
0: The epitome of like the macho firefighter image where it was like go hard or go home if you can't stick it out you're not going to be a fiery all that sort of stuff yeah
1: oh for sure Hmm. so it's um yeah it's it's a lot more controlled and and safer environment for training
0: is that culture still there there's still because i assume what you guys are doing isn't being accountants at the end of the day like you're having to switch into kind of like a superhero mode day after day after day which is not, not necessarily everyone's cup of tea and not necessarily something that anyone could or would want to do. So I guess it's, it's interesting for me to consider that, like how you've been able to maintain that commitment to this, to this pursuit, which at the end of the day helps people, I guess. Is that one of the, sure. main, the main drivers for you is that you, you know you can see that you are uh, directly uh, positively impacting lives at the end of the day?
1: Well, that's, that's definitely the, the one that's positively impacting lives because we're, when we're actually doing our job and we're, we're, you know, we're loving it, we're getting to put the fires out and things like that, people are having their absolute worst day of their life. yeah. Know? Whether it be their house catches fire or whether they have a car accident or whatever the incident may be. But for us to put our skills and, and ourselves on the line to help someone and then to, to improve that situation um it it is very rewarding when you can when you can make someone's you know worst day a little bit better by by mitigating or or or, um you know sorting things out for them so
0: Mm. have you out of interest hazley have you seen the movie only the brave with josh brolin in it as the superintendent (laughs) No, no, I haven't. You should watch that movie. I I don't know. It's one of my favorite. Like, I love a good firefighting movie. I think you should watch that one. It's just, it's just, uh, it's a little bit over the top American, but very, uh, very, uh, I guess, super compelling and and exciting. It's a bit of a tragedy towards the end, but anyway, you should check it out. But I'm bringing it up because Josh Brolin plays, plays this superintendent and what he's trying to do is basically get his, uh, crew to become hot shots which are like the next level of uh, I guess firefighting team you know they might get they might be the the first responders for wildfires and they might get helicopters in to help fight the front line all that sort of stuff and Josh Brolin paints paints this picture of, of the I guess in a similar way to yourself like the station chief or something like that he's very like alpha and strong and kind of You know, stern with the guys, but he's their best friend too, sort of thing. Now you've worked your way up to the to the top rungs of the firefighting industry, right? Where I assume you're in a you're always in a leadership position, and that's become a critical part of you effectively doing your role as a firefighter. Now, as as a chief firefighter, what does it take to be an effective leader from from your experience? What have you learned through this journey? For sure
1: so from my perspective of of, of becoming an officer i've found that i've had to take a step aside from the excitement and the passion of, of being on the end of the delivery and then actually now taking a step aside from that and leading and making the decisions and getting the guys to do the aspects of the job that i'm very passionate about but with my experience in being in the role for this long um, I know how to, to I don't know, delegate and, and get the guys to, to work and operate as a team. Um, it's taken a few shifts of mindset. So instead of being inward and always just like, well, my role for today is this, and that's all I've got to worry about, to be more outward and like be more perspective of like the team, not only the team's training and capabilities, but also their safety um so it's a bit it, more it,
0: extroverted it is, than than what you're naturally you naturally lean towards
1: oh for sure like it, it, it is really pushed me out of my comfort zone to become a, an officer because you know i am naturally quite quite shy and introverted but i try and overcome that that obstacle it's not so much of an obstacle but like um push myself to go to go further and, and to look after my guys um so i i'm a station officer so that's just the uh, i'm in charge of a crew of three guys mm-hmm. um, plus i run the duty duty off the watch or the watch's duties for that day um there's a senior officer that's above me and he's on another pump um, with another crew mm-hmm. but he pretty much he does the administration side of things and i sort of do the day-to-day running of the crew um so making sure that things are scheduled training wise and then um, any community events that we're involved in and and just making sure that my guys are well looked after um, I guess where I was going before about like um, having been on the end of the delivery like I know the dangers and the aspects of what could be involved from that so I always try and not err on the side of caution but like just, just be more mindful of what I'm requesting my guys to do to ensure that their safety you is know, maintained and right
0: so that they're they're yeah okay they're safe safe and healthy i feel that you've it's interesting that yeah i guess you weren't necessarily looking to become a leader per se but because of your it's become it it's been a natural progression and then you've had to challenge yourself to take on that role which has been you know obviously really powerful for you because it's forced you to go outside your comfort zone and it's kind of the next level that you've achieved through that do you, so would i be correct because so, I, I don't see you uh hazley as being that kind of loud brash alpha which is so stereotypical in the movies of like the firefighter leader uh, reading right between yeah. the lines it looks like you can be that leader without having to be that that loud kind of maverick type personality would, would you say that's correct
1: oh for sure because like um you don't want to have someone that's just running around yelling and screaming and, and <laughs> out of control. You kind of need to control the chaos and be cool, calm, under pressure, and be concise and and make decisions right on the moment. Um, you know, And then that's that's that falling back on all of that experience. So I was a senior firefighter for about, oh, crikey. So I got my senior firefighters back in 2007. 2005, but I didn't step up to become an officer till 2019. So it's at 14, 14 years in between. Um, to become a, a leader in the in the force, so it's um, it's a full-on process.
0: Like yeah, it's I like
1: getting a um, like not quite a university degree, but just just below that. And it takes about four years of training in um, officer wow. school. So. Um, and then with that, you also have to do, um, yeah, some serious uh, on-the-job training as well. So I, I did about eighteen months as, as a pro- probationary officer, or well, I don't like to use that term, but like a, it's sort of like a, an officer that's still a senior firefighter, but he's acting in the role. Um, and from that, I I learned so much, and um, really, you know, um, through that journey. Um, it's been a process, but to, to to be an actual leader now, is, is I think it's it's more of a, a duty for the experience that I've got, you know, like to share my knowledge. Because I could just quite easily have just sat back and, and, and worked the next 30 years of my career and not really worried too much. But mm-hmm. to, to take yourself out of that comfort zone and, and step up as a leader and have my own unique, play about um talking to the guys and you know they, they know i'm totally different to some of some of the bosses that are very alpha and very yelly and <laughs> i bet
0: there's a few of those in the firefighting game <laughs> you, know,
1: you, you do like I've, I've um worked in Hawkes bay um I've, I've worked in the metro setting in wellington and now i'm in, on the uh, west coast of the north island and you encounter so many different officers over that time, over those 25 years that I've been doing this, and you can sort of, even the the bad officers, the ones that you think, gosh, they're the ones that you don't want to be like, and then you try and mould your your leadership style into the knowledge from ones that you've encountered that you're like, well, I don't want to be like that, but also using the ones that, oh man, he's got some really good tips and tricks and tools and ideas and leadership skills and management that, you know, I'm going to use all of those to the fullest. So mm. you do learn over time.
0: Did you ever uh, have to battle with any sort of imposter syndrome kind of feelings having become so good at what you do and then realizing that you were going to be perceived differently when you moved to that leadership position? Did you, did you feel you, did you second guess yourself or was it a pretty straightforward transition? Cause you just knew the job backwards, frontwards every way.
1: When, when i got the promotion i went from um so i was i was on blue watch um and and like each watch has their own personalities their own, own style and i got promoted onto red watch which was a complete opposite watch to ours so when blue watch won their four days off red watch were working so i never really worked with those guys and so that was the big mindset shift for me was going on to the Reds. They didn't know my style. They didn't know how I operated. They didn't really know my experience. And then I just, you know, I tried to do everything. I was doing <laughs> I was doing the dishes and the cleaning and the you know everything to to try and fit into the team as if I was a new recruit off my recruits course. Whereas I just you know, um, which isn't a bad thing. It just showed that I really, really wanted to show that I was a team player and, and the, for the guys. So picking up the slack and everything like that. So, and, and with that, over a period of time, the guys know that I've got their back. Like you, you really, you know, if, if whatever reason they're at a call and the other pump's out and their jobs are not getting done, then they know that, you know, I'll go and pick up the slack and do the jobs for them. But nothing's below me. Like, you know, I don't think that I've got, like, oh, I've got this on my shoulders now and I'm the station officer, so, you know, that's all below me. That's, you guys going to do that. It's, it's always about the team and making sure the team and all the jobs and duties that are required are, are done. And, and in saying that, that's, you know, that's around the station life, but on the job itself is, is stepping up and being the leader, being the officer, being the guy that's making the calls and the decisions you know, and, and over a period of time, the guys have, you know, you know, I've, I've fit in quite well. Well, I think,
0: well, I think, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're always still willing to do what they do and mm-hmm. the people who are under you or with you see that, I think that's such a, a powerful thing to to keep that, uh, I guess camaraderie alive and for them to to believe in you when you make leadership decisions. I remember, From working in the marketing industry, one of the things that always happens is that once someone gets a promotion, the first thing they want to do is stop doing the stuff that they used to do. (laughs) Like the first thing they want to do is like, I don't do that anymore. I'm the manager. Why would I do that? I got to this level, so I don't have to do that anymore. And you've taken the absolute opposite approach, which is no, 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 I still do everything you guys do. And that's kind of built this rapport between you that I, I feel would be much stronger than the kind of us and them that can happen in the in the marketing industry. Well,
1: well that's why I get my butt kicked now by some of the senior guys. And they're like, get in your office. Like, we've got this, Like, you know, <laughs> if you're out here, who's in there? And it's like, ah, oh, I can catch up on that paperwork later. Like, you know, I, I always just want to, you know, be part of the team and, and, and help get the job done, lighten the load and you know, yeah, not hide away.
0: <laughs> I feel I feel like you might get quite bored if you did too much office work, Hazley.
1: Um, oh a little bit like um I don't like sitting around for too long and it's mm-hmm. always good to get up every every so often and and um you know not wear my shoes out trying to find where everyone's hiding, but like more and more like pitching and, and help. <laughs> Get the jobs done throughout the day, so, so everyone's day, you know, we all get it done. Um, because like with, with our role, it's not just about the tones dropping and then rocking out the calls, we're also like really, really focused on community safety. So, we do a lot of school visits, um, we do a lot of home fire safety visits, which includes putting smoke alarms and things like that around the community. So, there's so many different aspects with the job that just not just sitting around waiting for a for calls to come in
0: so mm. plenty plenty to keep you busy it sounds like how do you get out of your procrastination state so if you're just not feeling it i suppose you've got a lot of things which which are pr- quite high touch like the the mentality to go from the couch to oh i'm going to do several hours running or to just yeah. when the alarm bells rings to get in the mood and, and change into your superhuman or your superman clothes and, and get cracking on a call what what kind of switches you into gear
1: i don't know whether, whether i can touch on joseph's story at all or by all uh, means
0: I, i'd love you to delve into it a little bit if you like to
1: because it's um for your listeners so lisa and i went through a, a um trial and, and tested character there for a while because our um we've been trying to get pregnant for years and and unfortunately lisa had a miscarriage and from that We ended up with a um, period there where we thought Lisa wouldn't be able to carry. So we had a surrogate mum that was so loving and kind and helped us um, on our sort of pregnancy journey. And she was pregnant with our our son, um, Joseph. But unfortunately, um, he didn't make it through the tomb. He was born prematurely and unfortunately passed away. Um, he was such a cute little little guy um, he was about the size of your hands but um, he had uh, those beautiful you know facial features and ears and nose and um, he looked like a very very micro version of myself and, and, and he really like um, made an imprint on my heart and so that's most probably one of the, the main um, reasons why I try not to procrastinate is because I'm trying to live the life that he wasn't able to live, so he's he's, he's um, one of my main drivers. So he's one of my, you know, because he didn't get to live his life. I, I want to live the best life that I can for him. Um, he yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons I stepped up as a as an officer, and that's another reason why I I um, you know pursuing this goal now this hundred mile. It's not the the furthest of. You know, run like in a week I've run 273k um, over six days, um, and and that was that was a big event. But with Joseph um, coming into our life, um, yeah, he's just made made things into a bigger perspective. I'm not sure if that's making sense, but like. Um, for instance, when the times are down, it's you know, like I'm out in this big like 30k run or something like that, and I'm I'm feeling it and I'm I'm just wanting to pull the pin and call it quits. Um we've got these birds over here called um fantails. Are they have fantails in Australia or you no? Know, um I mean, so it sounds
0: familiar, pe- but I'm not sure.
1: Pe- walker walkers are the, the moldy name for them, but so they're they're cute little like mischievous crazy birds that, that like um always come out of the blue. Um, whenever the times are down. And um, so after um, Joseph's funeral, the, the very next morning, our cat was out in the front yard and this little fantail bird just came out of nowhere. And it was like a little kid playing with the cat. <laughs> and um, so ever since then, I've, I've got these these um, birds in, in mind. And so when I'm out running, um, yeah, when the times are down, the chips, you know, these birds will come out of nowhere and then that sparks the heart and you you keep moving, keep moving forward.
0: So you've almost managed to channel the, the, the grief of that, of your, of that loss of your, your son, Hazley, to, to, in, in a positive way, which is that you draw down upon it for motivation when you most need it.
1: Most definitely. And um, it's, it's most, yeah. Turning a, a, a sad moment into a, to a celebration and a, and a, a movement forward.
0: Hadsley, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you for joining me today, and I think we should chat again sometime down the track. Let's chat after you've done your hundred mile attempt and we'll see how you feel. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, that'll be awesome! It'll be awesome to catch up again and 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 share some aspects from from the journey and and achieving that hundred mile goal. So, I'll,
0: I'll awesome! Look forward to it. thanks for listening to this episode of the doing epic stuff podcast you can find all the latest happenings on the website doingepicstuff.com or our instagram instagram forward slash doing epic stuff we are